Welcome to the Healthcare Weekly Podcast, where you can learn about the innovative ideas and technologies reshaping the healthcare industry. Join over 150,000 monthly readers and listeners all over the world. Each week, we sit down with some of the most brilliant minds in healthcare to learn what the future holds. The Healthcare Weekly Podcast, healthcare innovation starts here. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Weekly Podcast. I am Coach Nassim, your Digital Authority Partners in Healthcare Weekly. Today's podcast guest is Dan Brelman. He is the CEO at Unita, a uh, healthcare technology platform reinventing the delivery of health, government, and community services. The company is disrupting the fragmented health and human services industry by enabling providers to coordinate and deliver services in real time through networks of providers who together can better meet the comprehensive and co-occurring needs of their constituents. Dan, thank you so much for joining the Healthcare Weekly Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Dan, I, I don't usually ask about how companies are founded and, and why, because, of course, like everyone has a story of sorts. But reading a little bit about your company's history and your own history as a veteran, by the way, thank you so much for your service to this nation. I wanted to hear more about your personal story and your company story and how they came together to create United. Yeah, of course. And just to you know, give you a background, I, I did not come from the healthcare industry and you know didn't have a background, although my parents are in the medical industry. But I came from a non-traditional background in the sense that I went to Yale, I worked in finance, and then I actually left finance to join the military as an Air Force pilot. And I've been flying actually for the Air Force for now over 12 years as a reservist and spent a lot of time in the Middle East when in my younger days you know, on deployments. Came back from deployments, went to Columbia Business School. And in my second year in business school, a lot of the veterans that I served with in the Middle East that I got to know really well started coming to me about their both health and their social service issues, thinking that I could solve them for them, ranging from post-traumatic stress to homelessness to employment to how do I get health care insurance that they weren't eligible for the VA. And unfortunately, I had no answers for them. I thought this was all figured out. And really, because you know people are very close from a, a tight-knit relationship in the military, I wanted to help them all. And the way I tried to help them all and solve what was out there in the industry was you know, kind of resource guides or directories of services, the yellow pages of what's out there. But it was on me to go call them and help them and try to figure out how to help them. And most of the answers I got were, sorry, I can't help them, but call my friend down the street at this agency. They might be able to help. So I was getting passed around these kind of cold referrals that were happening. And I became so frustrated. I did what every good MBA does. And I studied it and wrote a paper about it. And it really was around the fragmentation of delivery of services between healthcare, what we call medical care, and government services, when we think about food stamps and benefits that the government provides. Back in 2013, the wild west of social services. So community-based organizations, nonprofits, non-clinical services that are all around the country providing great services, none of them really talked to each other digitally. They weren't all interconnected to really serve the client holistically. And for the organizations, they had no idea what happened to their client if they sent them somewhere else. Once they left the four walls, there was no tracking of what happened, that outcome. And really what I wanted to ensure for the veterans that I served with is not that they got to the service they needed, but they actually received the service they needed, the outcome. And so that's really how we set out back in 2013 to build these networks of services that worked together cohesively and really expanded that out across the country, now serving all populations in 35 plus states. So can you talk to me about the current veteran experience 
once a soldier is discharged and you're home, what does this access to healthcare look like? Like, what are the steps needed and taken in order to access various healthcare services? I know you mentioned PTSD as being one condition, and alongside that, there's many, many conditions that impact our veterans. What is that, let's call it user experience, if you will, today across the nation? Yeah. So, you know, we call it transition into the civilian sector. And unfortunately, it is not seamless when, you know, you're in the military and you're active, everything, your housing, right, your food, your healthcare, everything's taken care of for you. And when you leave the military, there are only certain things that carry along with you, right? There are the people that you served with. You may be eligible for benefits. Many veterans are not eligible for VA services. And so a lot of the majority of people need to go find their own way to services and healthcare. And so a lot of the process is, is not seamless because people move either back to their hometown or they move to a new community and they really have to start over. And so, you know, that transition process is really similar to other processes for other populations. When we think about people just in communities needing services, you think about people leaving the jail system where we have amazing success stories because you know, they're leaving the jail system. Now they have a support system around them and a place to go to get all the services that they need because everyone's connected, similar to how we've done this for veterans as well. So really trying to improve, you know, that process around coordination on the supply side and the supply chain issue so that regardless of when you need services, whether you're a veteran discharge or you're just someone, in, you know, in the community that needs services, you can get them when you need them. Okay, so not a seamless experience. This is what I got out of your comment. You know, they give you a class or two, they give you some pamphlets. And at the end of the day, the biggest concern for veterans transitioning is not so much about the word healthcare or housing. It's actually navigating. It's navigating the benefits and the services that they need. Gotcha. Okay. So at the beginning, Based on your company's mission, the United States was dedicated to serving the veterans in this country. So I want you to think back to when your company was funded and founded and then the first product that you launched on the market. Can you talk about what that was and what was like the first use case that you guys started with? Yeah, we always like to talk about what we launched before we actually even incorporated. We actually launched the wrong product. So it's always fun to talk about that. We actually launched what I referred to a little bit better before is a resource directory. Where are these services? But we allowed veterans to start actually discussing it and chatting. Um, So it was very kind of B2C and we knew immediately it didn't work. And so, you know, we threw it out there, veterans and their families started discussing services. And at the end of the day, they couldn't get to the services that they needed just because we presented them where they are and what they do. Um, And so we immediately flipped our model and actually you know, built the business around how do we actually build these networks? How do we get these organizations working together? And our first product was in New York City and our, uh, getting about 35 organizations together. And it wasn't just technology. We had actually fit these organizations down and get them to agree on a standard of how they actually effectively and securely share information about people and their needs, how they track those things together in a standardized way and how they actually measure outcomes together as a set of organizations that are trusted in quality. And that was the first product we really, really put out to the market that worked. And that's the one that we've scaled over the last seven years. So when you say that this product would connect people with 
the right organizations. Like, can you talk about that user experience? So imagine I'm a veteran and I'm going to use your platform. Hey, like, how do I hear about your platform? Is it something that has to come to an organization that tells me I should use it? Or can anyone use your digital product? And then what is the user experience after that? Yeah. So, you know, we really actually bring a no wrong door approach of how you can enter the network. So we bring all these different access points. We have what was called a client facing view that allows the veteran or the Medicaid member or the person in need to request services from a hub organization that's going to navigate their services. So digitally, they go on their phone, they fill out a few questions, not a lot of questions, they sign their consent, and then it alerts this hub who then distributes electronic referrals out to these organizations. That's one easy way digitally that we market so they know about the network. The other way is through these organizations. You know, they get to an organization and that organization says, I can't help you, but they say, I'm part of this network. I'm going to use this technology to get you to the service. And my experience as the consumer of that service is I don't have to navigate my way through all these different eligibility criteria. I will only know when I will get a text or an email when I'm accepted into a program. That means the supply side is effectively and seamlessly coordinating, sending electronic referrals, getting alerts when they're accepted, and then that's when the client's experience comes into play so that they don't see denials, they don't get denied, they don't have to waste their time trying to go to this organization or this organization. It's happening on the back end so that we make the navigation easy for the person in need. And so for the organizations, we save them all the time too so that they're not spending 30, 40 minutes trying to connect them when the end result would be a piece of paper and they walk out, right? We're making an easy experience for them, the organization, to not only connect electronically with another organization or multiple but also get alerts back of what's going on and progress updates so they don't have to you know, follow up and figure out what's going on as well. Okay, so if I understand correctly, then the first touch point has to go through a party, right? It's not like I can go to unitas.com or to the App Store and download the application. It has to first be part of a network. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, so the client in need has to enter into one of these access points. So we white label this client-facing view. A good example is NC Care 360, which is our statewide work for North Carolina. It'll say, do you need help or request services, right? And once you request services, someone will call you, ask you about your needs. They will distribute electronic referrals, and you will know where you're ending up and what services you're going to receive. And so that's one way to do it. You don't have to download an app. You don't have to go to uniteus.com, as that's kind of the back-end part of it. And so you're going to the structure of the network or the brand of that network, so you know what organizations are part of it and how you're going to get services from that network. Speaking about North Carolina and Secure360, can you talk about how you ended up working with the state of North Carolina on their websites, they're marketing this, or they're presenting the solution as the first statewide coordinated care network to electronically connect those with identified needs to community resources? So can you talk first about your agreement and engagement with North Carolina and kind of the different type of services currently covered as part of that agreement? Sure. And the way it started out was we had four veteran-focused networks that were built out in North Carolina over the last seven years, and hundreds and hundreds of organizations already doing this. And what happened was the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Secretary Cohen, was going through Medicaid transformation. And part of that, and her mantra as an amazing leader, is to 
not only by healthcare, but by health. And part of her approach was to have an integrated platform and an integrated approach to addressing health and social needs. And so they needed a platform that was scalable, that could not just get into community-based organizations so that they could coordinate, but also manage care organizations as North Carolina was moving to manage care, embedding this inside of the health system and doing it at scale. And we are the only platform and company that has done this at scale and done it really well. And so that's where our work came from through HHS in conjunction with partners like the Foundation for Health Leadership and FHLI and the United Way of North Carolina. And so it was our approach of how you build and manage these networks, but also in partnership with the state and local philanthropy and also United Way and partners across the community as well. And so our goal as a partnership was to, within the first couple of years, is to launch across all 100 counties and get all the organizations that are quality and accountable to join the network. And we're already hitting that point already. And COVID accelerated that, which is good for the community. So to accelerate and to ensure people get the services they need. And so we're already embedded with health systems as part of managed care. And we're working deeply to understand how we work with the payers as well in the state. And it's an amazing partnership because it really brings everyone, the whole ecosystem together, government, the community, providers, and payers. Can you talk about approximately how many people use your platform in North Carolina? Sure. Yeah, I think there's three or 4,000 users already in the community. And sometimes for health systems, we're launching across their entire user base. So some of those we count as kind of single entities, but we already hit over a 1,000 organizations with many users behind them. And so that means that when you go to a county that we've launched in, you're going to be able to get the different types of services you need from the organizations in the community. So your company almost acts as a broker of information. You're like, you're the technology platform in the middle that connects different endpoints for one goal, which is to provide specific services to end users. And part of Having a platform like this is not just to connect people, but it's also provide insights to your customers. So in the case of North Carolina, that'll be the government. Can you talk to me about what type of insights the government could get as a result of leveraging and deploying your platform? Sure. So data is, is extremely important to make decisions. And so you think about this in a couple of ways. One is the demand side. You know, what are the needs that are happening? Then there's the supply side, right? What services are being provided and how well can we invest in those services together as communities? So we think about effectiveness. How effective is the network? So for the clients in need, how much faster are we getting people to services? Before a network and before this technology is deployed, we saw on average it was taking about 16 days for people to even get connected to a service. And we reduced that down, right, to under a day. So immediate returns, right, from an efficiency perspective. We look at how fast people receive services because we're sharing more information, so less duplication, right, less back and forth. And we see immediate drops over 60% in that. From an efficiency gain perspective, we know we're removing over 85% of admin time, right? So we're moving, sitting with a client for longer than you need when you're never going to provide that service. You can leverage someone on the other side. Then we look at outcomes and what actually happened, what services were delivered, what outcomes were provided. And so we also look at resolves, what was being resolved and very specific structured outcomes based on housing and employment. We also look at gaps, right? And we fill those gaps as well. So an example in New York City, where we saw 
a 33% gap in food, we went and filled that gap by recruiting more food pantries immediately. And we saw that rise from 6% to 56% people accessing emergency food. And then the final one is how do we attribute this data of effectiveness and efficiency and then outcomes and better services to healthcare utilization? And so now we've done analysis around improved health, community health, people getting what we call social care outcomes in the community and less utilization of emergency rooms. And you can see the direct correlation between more people getting called surrounded or wrapped around by these social service agencies, less use of the emergency room, which is obviously the most, you know, the high cost. And so those are the really distinct data points to drill down into what is most effective in how we make decisions around data, both for a healthcare organization, but also a government. Can you expand on that a little bit? So I was just thinking hospitals are measured by a very specific quantifiable metric, which is readmission rates within 30 days. And then like your Medicare coverage and fees and everything else is predicated on that objective metric. Like the more people do not come back to the hospital, the better of a health system you are. Are there specific objective metrics like that, that you're measuring against, whatever they may be? Yeah. So, and people measure improved health outcomes differently, right? So in one aspect, you could look at improved A1C for diabetes patients, right? If we get them more healthy food in the community, right? And then we're going to reduce, right, the overall cost, which could be short-term and long-term, right, for their overall health. And there's a long tail to that as well. Some look at not just readmission, but as we move from fee-for-service, right, to value-based care, then they're taking capitation on the population and responsible for the total cost. And so this is a perfect point for a health system or an at-risk provider to say, I don't need to just, you know, manage the whole person's medical care. I actually need the connections into the community to address their total health because I'm responsible for their total cost. And so that's why I was giving the example of a direct correlation between reduced ED visits, which is a cost, right, and improved health or social care outcomes, which are happening in the community and watching utilization drop as people get more services in the community. So it depends on the type of model that it's set up, but most importantly, it's around the value-based model that is where the industry is moving towards. Absolutely. So, so then when we started, we, we talked about veterans, and, and that's a cause that's very like, dear to my heart. I don't actually engage in a lot of social causes, but veterans is one of them where I, I donate money to different veteran-related causes. So all I'm trying to say is it narrowed my focus because I think we don't do enough for our veterans. And, you know, you've mentioned some of the, the problems that we see with these services, but because you touched a sensitive chord for me, like I focus most of my attention on the veterans, but as we continue talking, you have mentioned that there's other constituents. So can you give me kind of an itemized list of like these end customers, so veterans being one grouping, what are some other grouping? You mean populations, yeah. So, you know, veterans yeah. as, as a group, as a population set that may have specific services that are attributable to them, Medicaid, right, the set of individuals that are on a certain insurance, Medicare Advantage, as, as you know, for seniors, substance use individuals, justice-involved individuals, are specific sets of populations that are focused on because of the high acuity of need, not necessarily just the total cost or necessarily from a healthcare lens, but overall the ability for states and governments to get involved 
because some of these are epidemics, right? And substance use treatments and opioid addiction, that's not a population that's on a set of people. That could be anyone, right? But we need to address it with an effective network of organizations that are going to address it. It's not just substance use treatment, right? There are reasons why people have those addictions and we need to address that around the whole person. And so hopefully that's a good list for you. But as we've moved as a company, you know, we think about networks that solve the problems for all of these populations, not just Medicaid, not just Medicare Advantage, not just, you know, duels as well. And we have to tailor our networks a bit based on that, but we need to also address them all over time as well. Excellent. Um, can you also talk about, also kind of an itemized list, talk about the services that constituents from these different groups would access? Because I think you mentioned healthcare, you mentioned employment services, you mentioned a use case about food stamps. I'm trying to get a more holistic view of like, what are all of the different types of services that are available through your platform and that you measure again? Yeah, sure. So we have a taxonomy that we manage and the taxonomy we call kind of parent service types, which are comprised of, as as you said a, a bit before, housing, employment, benefits, legal services, financial assistance, utilities, food, those types of things. We have subcategories as well that get into early childhood education versus skill development for education versus school meals, right? Or home loans and financing. The list obviously can go on and on. And it gets also into into medical needs as well, mental behavioral health or counseling or crisis intervention to supportive therapies, money management, physical health, you know, runs the gamut as well from primary care where we want to get people into primary care that typically don't use it enough and have been using emergency rooms instead as their primary care, all the way to social enrichment, where we didn't think, you know, churches would be part of networks early on, and they've become a really good access point of how people get services or outdoor activities, you know, equine therapy, things like that. So we've talked about government as an, an agent that can benefit from your services, but they're not the only one, right? I mean, payers, providers, they can also benefit by contracting and, and, and working in conjunction with your services. Can you talk about the benefits of your solution for payers and providers? Sure. So as I think we spoke a little bit about before, payers, as an example, they need to manage the whole population. And that population, you know, they may not be in touch with that member all the time, right? We don't engage with our insurance plan as often as we should. And on, on the other side, insurance plans want to engage with their membership a lot more. And they also want to address the services that they may not be direct providers of services. And so for them, it's about how do we deliver these types of services where they are managing them and managing their total costs. So to be able to improve the health of the members that they want to stay on their plan, offer them these types of wraparound services, and also ensure that they manage effectively the cost of those members as well. And so social determinants has become obviously the biggest way to think about what does community-based care look like, and that requires a health plan for them to need the connections to these services, and most importantly, the data to ensure they're getting these services, and the data to match against their members to ensure that they're making sure that they're the most healthy, right, and managing their cost effectively. Providers are seeing patients, whether they're coming in through acute providers, ED visits, or primary care, And as providers are moving into value-based contracting, they become responsible for that person's overall care, whether they're at home or in the doctor's office. And so this becomes a really important point around how they effectively provide wraparound services for their patients 
whether they're in the hospital or more importantly, not in the hospital and getting services that they need to ensure that they're better off, whether that's if they're homeless, getting them into a stable home so that they're not, you know, attributing the ED as their points to get even food or, or even a roof over their head. And so those are the two big focal points that really at the end of the day, it's around the payers and providers want the best things for their members or their patients. They want to manage the cost of the member and their patients in the most effective and streamlined way. The most effective way to do that is, is to provide this wraparound network that doesn't just include medical providers, traditional medical, but really these social care providers that are closer to people's homes that can really affect their health. Can you talk about your digital solutions as you're talking and I'm thinking, okay, so there's, there's a mobile application for the end user, but are there any other, let's call them dashboard-like platforms that payers, providers, the government could access to see the data coming in, the outcomes, et cetera. Can you talk about the suite of digital products that are the access points for all your customers? Sure. So at the end of the day, we have a core platform that is kind of what we call our care coordination platform. And so this is used by users who are registered to our network from all different organizations. And this is frontline staff who are seeing patients, talking to members, identifying needs of patients. And they're using our platform to communicate with outside agencies. So electronic referrals, knowing what organizations to electronically send to via our algorithm, getting alerts back from those organizations, communicating securely with them, sharing care plans and so forth between health and social services. So those are the typical users of our core platform. Prior to that, we also now have predictive analytics so that we can work with a payer or an at-risk provider and predict of their membership or their list of, of folks that they're attributed for, of which ones have specific social needs, what they're at risk for, so that we can actually drive them through the network to get the services they need as well. And on the other end is the outcomes and the insights, which both tells you which services have been rendered, how do we effectively look at medical cost and data against our data, which is around the social outcomes and the social services being provided for those members. And then the insights we use analytics and, and business intelligence to provide us and a different view for payers and providers than social service agencies. So we have different stakeholders like governments as well that we need to provide aggregate level reports, what's happening across my state, right? Where are specific outcomes being provided? Where are potential gaps that we need to look at? You know, what are the populations that we're serving that are requesting these types of needs? What are the co-occurrence of needs as well? We provide that across the board and then specific things like time to service, an efficiency metric, a quality metric that people traditionally get paid for in medical care. We're doing that for social care. Effective outcome tracking and, and service delivery around how fast are people receiving those services, right? The faster we can get someone actually enrolled and getting them the services, the less likely they're going to be unhealthy going forward if we can keep getting them the service they need to live a better and healthy life. So you mentioned that a part of your service solution is to predict specific social needs and to provide insights to different stakeholders. So like, how does that work in practice? Like would a government agent or even someone from the insurance industry look at a profile and say, okay, according to Unitas, this person has a 60% likelihood of doing or not doing something or not getting a specific outcome. I'm trying to visualize how these insights are actually shown to uh, your customers. Yeah. So on the front end, I call that kind of the front end of service delivery before they're being served in the network. 
we can tell a payer or provider with a set of uh, a list of, of members that they have, what are their social risk factors? What's the score of that social risk factor? What are the specific needs that we think that they are going to have based on other people that have gone through our platform, very similar demographics and backgrounds or services they've already received as well. And to give them an understanding before they're talking to the client or before that they're engaging with the client in person or over the phone or whatever means, you know, what are they at risk for so that they can better suitably address them without having to engage with them and ask them tons of questions. So it better helps them, if you think from a population health perspective, understand their demographic, understand their membership, and understand the people that are being served by their providers, but even before having to engage with them. Because from a government perspective or an insurance perspective, you know, they don't have the whole picture of the client. They have medical claims, right, which are claims of medical use and cost, but they don't have the whole picture of that client. I got you. So that's really one of the very powerful value propositions that, that you provide, that I can actually come here and, and ultimately at the end of the day is just make sense of the data, right? 20 years ago, we were thinking like, okay, we don't have data, we don't have data. Today, you talk to any stakeholder and everybody says, I have so much data, it just makes no sense. So if I understand correctly, <laughs> your company is able to bridge that gap and, and turn this data into something that's actually digestible and actionable. Digestible and actionable, right? So we can effectively tell a county or a health plan or a health system or a community at large where where should we be focusing? And I think this is a really good point around how do we use data, not only to fill gaps, right? Because you know the communities and just from a macro level, not every service is always available, right? And so we need to be able to effectively tell the stakeholders what gaps are we seeing, where they need to be filled, and does that funding come from philanthropy? Can government come in, which we've seen, and fill gaps as well? And most importantly, how do we effectively move the industry forward into really an integrated business of health and social care? Now we've done that from a technology perspective and an operational point of view. And what we've moved forward as a company is around how do we actually effectively build the business relationships that effectively can build contracts and actual business relationships that allow social services to rise to the same level as healthcare providers, right? Most of the money right now is in medical, right? And there's billions and billions of dollars. And what we need to do is build the capacity for social service agencies to allow them to participate in a way that medical providers are reimbursed as well. Can you talk about, let's call them technical data process or even like legislative challenges that may in one way or another prevent unite us from delivering like new features and functionalities in your product offering is you're talking and I keep thinking about like, Oh, all these cool things coming together. But then I wonder like, okay, what are other things that are not coming together because from a just pure product point of view, you may not be able to tap into those data sources. Yeah. So I think one of the things is effective data sharing of medical data overall. And I think what we're seeing in COVID-19, right, is lack of public health infrastructure. So data is in a million different places. And so, you know, we need to also make sense of what's going on before we even launch a network as well. And so we do our own analysis around that. Policy, I would say, is a big thing that we're helping move the needle on. That's our ultimate goal is to move policy. Policy moves a lot of things, as you know, right? It, It brought in medical record systems into this world, right? And made them a huge, huge industry. 
moving from paper records to medical records, digital medical records. And we see policy moving, and you're seeing this in the majority of states now, is talking about social determinants, addressing social needs. We're not seeing it everywhere yet, but we're seeing it almost everywhere, at least talking about it. Six years ago, it was about how do you identify needs, right? Or screen, ask people questions, identify needs. As I think people have found out, people have needs. But how do you actually address those needs? And policy is now moving towards actually how do you effectively address those needs and putting that into policy so that insurance companies and providers are now incentivized to actually go address them, which means they need a network in place. The second one is around like effective data sharing. And I think, you know, this is getting better because of COVID-19, right? Because everyone is at home. They've alleviated policies around data sharing for, for good purposes. At the end of the day, you know, things like 42 CFR Part 2 around behavioral health and substance use sometimes are, you know, blockers in the sense we had to build those permissions into our system to ensure it obviously replicates real life situations around who can see what information. And so sometimes that becomes barriers to care because laws are in place. And I think their policy is also looking at alleviating those because at the end of the day, it created barriers for the client who needed services. And so we have to meet the community where they are. We have to abide by every single law, but we also have to move policy. And I think we play a role in helping move policy so that we can effectively continue to better identify what the gaps are, where we can continue pushing and, you know, governments towards, which is ultimately is this infrastructure that allows all these connections that were just never in place before. Yeah. And I think, you know, policies is always a very contentious issue because there's a lot of stakeholders that have at times divergent interests. I mean, at the beginning of the year, one of the, let's call it more scandalous discussions was around the ability for anyone in America to really just own and access their uh, their medical records. And we saw Judith Faulkner from Epic basically coming up against that idea. So it's strange because whereas everyone wants to do kind of the right thing for the customer, Oftentimes, policy and legislation is interpreted differently, and you have all these forces that are moving in in different directions. And it's sometimes difficult to figure out, like, okay, how do we actually move forward versus backwards or sideways? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think our principles at the end of the day, if we continue to focus on the right thing for the patient and not get mixed up in, in the details and, and interpretations, then I think for the most part, you get it right at the end of the day. And and it's a huge industry and everyone can have their piece of the industry if we continue to focus on the right things. So then you work in technology. What are the biggest technology trends that could propel your company in the future? Like what excites you about how technology as we see it evolve and we've seen it evolve over the last five years, especially with AI and machine learning, face recognition, et cetera, about these trends that could really shape where your company goes from here? Well, I think backing up a little to, you know, six or seven years ago, technology adoption was not where it is today. So I think we're lucky to be in a place where it is now being adopted much more readily. COVID-19 has accelerated that. You look at telehealth as an example, and that was going to be here to stay in the future. And I think an integrated approach to getting care may not always be in person in the future. And so digital connections, digital infrastructure, that allows people to get what they need. I think about this in the terms of, you know, look what Amazon has done for the customer experience of purchasing, right? We expect our package to be here in a couple of days if it's prime, right? We should expect the same standard around how we get the services that we need 
And that means you need the right infrastructure, just like Amazon has in place to have a supply chain that allows them to be so effective. And that's really where the industry is moving and technology is at the core of that, right? And a lot of parts of that are, you know, when we talk about AI and when we talked about predictive before, right, those are parts of the, the piece of the puzzle. A lot of it is around this connected tissue that is required to really manage the infrastructure, to manage the supply chain that continues to be changing, right? It's going to continue to change. You know, doctors don't always stay in practice, right? And social services come and go. They grow programs, right? And change all the time. And so the industry needs to continue to adapt to that. And technology is, is completely at the core of it because otherwise it will not work. And there's so much opportunity to think about how we effectively also connect nodes and share data more effectively, not just patient data for the services delivered, but how do we look at entire states together? There's so much data out there, but we're not looking at it all in one picture. Dan, thank you so much for joining uh, the Healthcare Weekly podcast today. On a personal note, thank you for your service to our nation. I wish you the best to you and unite us in the future. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Great question. Thanks for listening to the Healthcare Weekly podcast. Don't forget to visit us at healthcareweekly.com. Subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast app to get a notification every time a new episode is released. Do you know of an inspirational health leader who should be on our podcast? Email us at hello at healthcareweekly.com with details. Healthcare Weekly Podcast. Healthcare innovation starts here.